the world is that if you win this, you'll never have to work again. Right? We think that, that money will solve everything. If we just have enough money, we can get rid of that thing that we actually hate the most, and that is work. There's a, a humorous, somewhat humorous, somewhat sad video too, but it, a case in New Jersey about a year and a half ago where a bunch of restaurant workers had been pooling their money together to win the lottery, and they'd been playing the lottery together in this group, and, and suddenly one of them opens up the paper and starts reading the numbers. And as a group, these restaurant workers are all excited because they're watching and they're seeing that the numbers are matching up with what's in the paper, and they've got video of this, of them realizing that they've got a ticket that matches all the numbers, and they're jumping around and they're hugging in the middle of the restaurant while, while there's customers there, and they are just thrilled. They think they've just won the lottery. One person even quit his job on the spot and walked out. They found out a little while later that they were reading the winning numbers from Wednesday and their ticket was for Saturday's drawing. They wanted to escape work. They thought they had finally made it. The culmination of our society and of success is that you no longer have to work. But that goes so against Scripture. It goes so against what God calls us to. It's part of the brokenness of our world that we avoid work. And yet, if we read the pages of Scripture carefully, we see that work is actually a gift given to us by which we can enter into what God is doing in the world and join God in the work God continues to do. I want to take us this morning through those three passages just briefly. But before I do, I want to put in front of us a, a statement that comes uh, out of the Christian Reformed Church. It's, it's often referred to as a contemporary testimony. It's called, Our World Belongs to God. And, and here's what it says about work. Our work is a calling from God. We work for more than wages and manage for more than profit so that mutual respect and the just use of goods and skills may shape the workplace. While we earn or profit, we love our neighbors by providing useful products and services. In our global economy, we advocate meaningful work and fair wages for all. Out of the Lord's generosity to us, we give freely and gladly of our money and time. There's two things. There's a lot of things in here we could unpack. We could spend a whole kind of, I'm sure, course around the theology of work and, and use this text as a way of working through that. But two things from here I want to highlight. The first is that opening line. Our work is a calling from God. There's something in there that, that says work is actually something God gives and invites us into. And, and it's an invitation from God to enter into doing something together. God's saying to us, I've got a gift for you. And that gift is that you come and join me. You join me in the work I'm doing. You join me in the work of, of, that's going on in the world. I'm inviting you to join, to participate. And something that's more than yourself, God calling us into something. 
We'll come back to that at the end of the message. The second thing here is, out of the Lord's generosity to us. Out of the Lord's generosity to us. So the desire for work and the the engagement with work is not something that we have to do. It's something that we get to do as a response to God's generosity. Sometimes we talk about God's grace to us and the good gift of salvation that God has given to us and extended to us. We even talk about the gift of life itself. A few years ago, I I was talking about that passage in Genesis 2 a little bit earlier than the one we're going to read. And and I said, just hold your hand in front of you. So we'll do it again this morning. Hold your hand in front of you. Now start breathing. Breathe out. Just go ahead and blow out so you can feel your breath. This too tells us that God breathed his breath into us and humanity came alive. So even our breath, and sometimes we have to physically remind ourselves of that breath, even our breath is a gift from God God extending that gift of life to us, that we have the capacity to breathe, to live. As Paul says later on, quoting one of the prophets in Rome, we live and move and have our being in God. It's a gift from God. And so it's this work we do, whatever that work ends up being, our work is a response to God's generosity to us. It's not a have to, it's not a burden, it's not not something we're trying to escape from a Christian perspective. It's something we're ushered into as a way of saying to God, thank you for this gift of life you have given to me. A few things as we walk through Scripture. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. There's two words in here to highlight. The first is is that idea of work. The, the working the ground, some, some older translations, to toil in it. But the underlying idea of it has, has this concept of cultivating something. Uh, of cultivating something so that it grows and flourishes. And it's used multiple other times in, in the Old Testament. The Hebrew word here uh, for work comes up in terms of serving others. It's often used as servants in a household that they serve others in the community. It's also used, interestingly enough, of priests. When the priests are told what their responsibilities are going to be in the tabernacle and eventually in the temple of God, it uses the same word for work that they're to serve in that temple. And they're served in the, in the tabernacle in the presence of God in such a way that they're They're drawing the whole community, and if you listen to the Psalms carefully, the whole world into worship of God. There's a whole idea tied into this, that that the work we do, the cultivating of the ground, getting your hands into the dirt, which is the first occasion here in Genesis 2, leads to the place where the whole world is called to worship God. The work we do is meant to draw others into worship of God. And then the second word in here is care. It's sometimes loosely translated as watch over. It's often used in reference to a shepherd caring for its sheep. 
So the shepherd cares for those sheep. It's concerned about their well-being. It wants to make sure that they get the right nutrients, that they're, they're provided protection, that they they're have enough food and water, that they have, they have the things they need in order to grow. That shepherd, eventually Jesus draws on that image to say the shepherd, in caring for the sheep, even lays down its life for the sheep. There's something of that drawn into this idea of work, that, that work has an element to it that it is other-looking. It is concerned for the benefit or the well-being of others, that it's not just about making money for myself. I work so I can make money so I can have a comfortable life, which our world often says that's the purpose of work. This paints it in a different direction. We're called to work in such a way that we not only cause the world to flourish, but that we do so in a way that leads to the benefit of others, of caring for others. The fall happened, right? We sinned. Everything in the garden got distorted. It's interesting to note that, that there were really a few commands given in that garden. They were, the people were supposed to, to make more people and they still had to do that after the fall. It just became painful and burdensome. They were to go out to the ends of the earth and not stay in the garden, and they were still sent out to the ends of the earth. It just became more difficult to do the work that they were called to do, and they were called to work the ground. And you hear, you hear already in Genesis 4, right after the fall, that Cain and Abel were working the ground and they were caring for animals. Those callings to work, even with the fall, even though they became more difficult, they weren't taken away from us. They just became more difficult to do, to fulfill, because we weren't following God. We started living for ourselves. So when we come to this point of, of grace and this center gospel message of grace, we often stop at, at part of this verse. We often read it, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And that's where we want to stop. We end up taking the gospel, and we start essentially with Genesis 3, and we say we have a broken relationship with God, and now because of God's grace in Jesus Christ, we have a restored relationship with God. But we miss the fullness of what's happening here. Not only has God restored us in relationship with God through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, he's also recommissioned us into our work and given us the capacity to work again in such a way that we participate in that creational call so that it is a response to God's calling on us and it is one that leads to serving others and to seeing the world flourish. And it's this last part, it's verse 10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. And we're trying in the English translation here to, to make sense of things and, and try, to, try to keep some of the wording together here. But there's, there's something we often miss that in advance for us to do has a word called peripateo with it, which means to walk about. Walk about, kind of wander about, all right? But it has a meaning with it, a connotation with it, or another meaning with that word peripateo, which means 
way of life. This is their normal way of life. So when God saves us in Jesus Christ, it's not simply to say, I've rescued you from your sins. You're no longer going to hell. You're going to spend eternity with me. God takes it one step further and says, actually, it's not just heaven. It's for earth too. It's for your life here and now. When I save you in Jesus Christ, I'm giving you a new mission, a new commission, a renewed calling to work here and now that your way of life is no longer going to be self-serving. It's no longer going to be marked by escaping. It's going to be marked by engaging. You are being called into a way of life that leads us to apply ourselves in this world right alongside Jesus Christ and bring renewal, causing life to flourish wherever we are and in whatever we're doing. Paul picks up on the same theme, talking about grace. And when Paul's talking about grace, he gets to a point of saying that we all have a place, each and every one of us, oldest to youngest, youngest to oldest, we all have a place something that God has given us to do to contribute to the body of Christ and to God's work in renewing all things. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has, has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. And I'm going to read the rest of the passage in a few minutes, but I want to pause here because part of what Paul is saying is in response to God's grace and mercy, in response to the salvation that God has given to us, each of us have been given gifts and called to use those gifts for the good of the whole body and the good of what God is doing in the whole world. Now this morning, because some of this can be abstract and up here, we want to bring this down to the reality of what this looks like for one member of our congregation. So I'm going to invite Petra Zanting to come up and Petra is going to talk a little bit about how God's calling and gifts on her are playing out in her life at this time. Thank you. <clears throat> My calling as an artist um, started... I'm an artist. <laughs> my calling as an artist um, began quite early in my life. Um, my, one of my earliest memories is always looking out somewhere in natural settings and just being really aware of shapes and patterns and color and light and, and all of those things that have to do with um, a visual awareness. I also drew a lot. And in fact, in grade three, I was kicked out of class because I was drawing. It was a history class. <laughs> but somehow that didn't deter me, and I kept going. Even though my parents disagreed with my decision to go to design school, um, because like many parents of that age and in our community, um, they thought it wasn't necessary for girls to continue their education. But um, they changed their minds. And um, I studied design and illustration, 
which was great and served me really well. And they were very proud of me when I graduated in the 70s. Um, I grew up in a CRC immigrant community and I didn't always feel like they had a very good understanding or appreciation for visual art. Um, I think they trusted too much in the Reformation that said, no images in the church. Um, thankfully, that's changing. Um, it's continuing to evolve, and that's a good thing because visual, visuals help us as Christians um, in our worship. My working career was as an editorial graphic designer and later as an educator, and that helped me pay the bills. But throughout my whole life, I painted. So I would always find a space somewhere in my house that was dedicated um, to just painting. Um, and so when I was doing my BFA, my BFA um, in the 80s, um, I painted everything, portraits of my daughters, the kitchen floor. Um, you can ask Naomi about that, painted everything. In the last few years, I've had more of an opportunity to be more intentional about my art making and have developed my practice so that I paint every day. Now, when I don't paint for a while, because um, there's lots of other things that occupy me, like I'm still an educator um, and, you know, I have a family, um, but George reminds me, my husband George reminds me to get to work because I get really grouchy when I don't paint. I feel very, very privileged to be an artist but I still struggle with many questions, like, does my art making reflect the glory of God? Does my art need to be meaningful, or can it just be pretty? Um, and what is beauty in art? What does that mean? For me, it's really important to go deeper, and I think it's really important if you have a chance to see contemporary art, for example, that you don't understand, that you would ask the artist about it, and you'll learn a lot about their process and also just all their methods and their thought that goes behind it. In the last several years I've been painting trees and I've gotten rather obsessed with it so I try to read as much as I can and have been painting and sketching, touching trees, hugging them. And um, in Montreal we lived in Notre Dame de Grasse which has huge, huge old trees and they were currently in the news because of a bad storm that happened so many of the trees were destroyed. So I began to sort of do portraits of them. And then later, in a conversation with a friend, we were discussing the metaphorical and symbolic properties of trees, roots, branches. Um, I think you know where this is going. And she said, you know, there's a lot of tree references in scripture. And maybe you should think about that. So I started to investigate. And yes, indeed, I, there was one um, translation of scripture that there's 300 references to trees, branches, roots. And so I began illustrating these verses and it started to become a narrative. And so I narrowed it down to 52 of the 300 verses and, um, so, and, and realized that it was indeed, it became very narrative. So like from the tree of life, um, to God's salvation to the Israelites over and over again. Um, the olive branch, for example, that was given to Noah. Um, the promises made to Abraham under the trees. Um, keeping Jonah refreshed, the stump of Jesse, and of course, the cross. So I started to paint these paintings. And then I thought, in conversation with others, I thought, this could be a really great book. 
So I have begun this project that's still in the very, very early stages. It's a devotional meditative book that has text and image um, of all of these 52 verses. And the illustrations will be my work and the text written by others. So theologians, environmentalists, academics, etc. I'm very excited about the possibilities of this project, but also a little nervous. Like, should I ask Pope Francis to write a 150-word devotion? I don't know, maybe. So artists generally work alone, and unless it's an intentionally driven pro project, like the Pinch Pot project that we did. So it's really hard for me to actually share this project before it's really gotten off the ground. I only have 10 paintings done so far. But I'm talking to you about this project because you're my church family. And so I'm asking you that if this project comes across your mind at some point, or if you see a tree that's really interesting, you'll maybe say a prayer for this project. Um, Chris has also offered to write, so I'm grateful for that. And um, I, I just think I'm, yeah, I think it has a lot of wonderful potential um, to serve the greater community. Thank you. I'm going to pray for Petra and her project right now, but also in that prayer include others, uh, a prayer more generally for others in our community who are also artists and kind of in that same vocational field. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the way that you call each of us in a different direction and, and give us different gifts to highlight parts of your creation and your world and the way we engage together as a culture and community. We thank you for Petra and the way that you have called her to be an artist, to know you, to seek you, to reflect you through the work she does with her paintbrush, with her teaching, uh, with her hands as she sculpts and creates things. Lord, you are amazing in the way you have gifted each of us and in the way you have gifted Petra. We pray for this project that you are uh, inviting her into and this work that she is doing of, of digging into your scripture and seeing the trees and beginning to paint them and help others tell the stories about them. We pray that you would bless this work and that it might be fruitful in building people up and drawing others to yourself. We pray also for other artists in this community, whether musicians or sculptures or or visual artists or digital artists, we pray that through the works and mediums they use, that your name might be glorified, that beauty might become evident in, in dark places and in quiet places, that you might bless this congregation and the work of our hands and our minds and our imagination. In Jesus' name, amen. It's not only the artists. Uh, it is more than that. The passage finishes off this way. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. We could keep adding to this and we could add the different areas in which each of us are called. And what this passage is meant to provoke in us is a question. And it's a question that draws us back to that opening text in Scripture that God has called us to create. How is God calling you 
to contribute to the well-being of others. What work is God calling you to, whether you're retired from your occupation or whether you haven't even begun to think about what occupation you might be in? How is God calling you to contribute to the well-being of others? As we said in the beginning, this is not something we have to do. This is something we get to do as a response to God's faithfulness to us and generosity to us. Each and every one of us is being invited into a way of life where we work in order to provide other, for others a flourishing life that reflects the goodness and the glory of the God who created us. Let's pray. We do pray, Lord, that you would awaken in us a sense of purpose and belonging a sense of calling within your kingdom in which we see the opportunity to work as a gift from you. Guard our hearts and our minds against the messages of the world around us that tell us work, work is nothing. It's meant to be escaped or gotten rid of or avoided if at all possible. Instead, pour into us a sense of, of being called into work as a response to your faithfulness to G through Jesus Christ, that we might use all that you have given to us, even our very breath, to continue working in your kingdom until the whole world flourishes because of what you are doing in and through Jesus Christ and in and through us. In his name we pray. Amen.